So today we will be in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Um, I want us to kind of look back a little bit at because this is we're kind of in midstream in this thought that that Paul has been putting out here. So um, just for for the sake of review, um, when we started in chapter nine, Paul's been laying out this idea of election to answer this one this one question in chapter nine verse six, where he says, "But it is not as though the word of God has failed." And then he proceeds to demonstrate to us through the um, next couple of chapters how it is not only that God's word hasn't failed, but if we look closely at God's word, that what we're seeing take place um, in the time of the early church is exactly what God's word had told us would come about the whole time. He begins this by showing this narrowing focus that this is not the first time that God has narrowed down. Um, he, he starts with Abraham. He goes through um, several generations that come from Abraham, ultimately pointing us to that um, the narrowest tip of that funneling down, which is which is Christ, um, and then from that he starts um, pushing forward this idea that um, not only was this done. Um, for the people of Israel, but this was done so that the whole world might know, um, looping the Gentiles in, and then um, not leaving that question of why is it then that um, Israel has fallen away um, on the side, he, he brings it back up again, and that's where we were last week, is kind of digging into this, uh, where he says, in uh, chapter 10 so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of christ and then he says but i ask have they not heard referring to israel um, indeed they have for their voices gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world and then he asks in verse 19 there but i ask then did israel not understand and then he says first moses says i will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And I want us to, to kind of think about that. And he, he kind of presses on through the latter part of chapter 10, kind of teasing out that idea, um, continuing to kind of ask that, that question. Um, and in summary, in chapter 11, if we wanted to kind of think about what, what what's the simplest way that we can say what it is that Paul's trying to get at here, verse 7 does a pretty good job of that he says what then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking the elect obtained it but the rest were hardened and we get back here with this idea of of this hardening of Israel and it's clear it's clear um, throughout scripture that um, Israel in the time of the early church um, there was something going on there was some type of rejection that seemed to be not universal, but about as close as you could get to universal to where you would actually even have to ask the question, has God, has God failed in his promises to the people of Israel? And that's why Paul is uh, now digging into this. Um, but what he points out in, in, in this run of text that we've been do, kind of studying through is um, that Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. It was seeking after Righteousness. We can look back up in the text and see that. Um, but the elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. And, and now um, I want us to reflect on this idea, because Paul kind of loops back to it in, in verse 11, where we're going to be picking up 
Now, this idea that we see in chapter 10, this, this quotation from, from Moses where Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Paul sees this very text playing out in his time. Um, and I want us to kind of um, glance down in chapter 11 down to uh, verse the latter part of verse 25 <clears throat> where he says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So um, one thing to consider as we're thinking about this hardening of, the, the, of Israel here is that Paul in his own mind sees this as some, something that is a temporary event that's playing out into the fullness of God's work. Um, God is wise in all that he has done and all the decisions that he has made. God knows the hearts of men. Um, God knows the hearts of those who would share the gospel. And God knows that had all the promises to Israel been fully accepted by Israel, that the, that the tendencies of our hearts is not to go. Even we find this today in the church, right? Like, it takes, it takes I'm going to air quote, a calling for us to go and share the gospel, right? We, we oftentimes don't necessarily see it as what it is, as a calling for all of us. If you have been called to Christ, you've been called to share the gospel, but we see it as some type of secondary special calling, right? God, God knew that tendency, and in planning out all of human history, He knew that He would harden the people of Israel and their rejection of Christ, not completely because, again, Paul says, I'm an Israelite, right? And, and there are other Israelites who have come to Christ. But, but God, know, knowing the hearts of man, hardens Israel, and Israel hardens themselves. Right? Let's, let's, let's be real. This is like, in, in the same way that we look at Pharaoh and we see God telling beforehand, I'm go going to harden Pharaoh. And then as he goes in, Pharaoh's hardening himself. There's passages of text where, um, Pharaoh's hardening, God's hardening. Pharaoh's, right? Like, there's this, there's this, um, walking hand in hand in this, this, this idea that, that God need only draw back for our hearts to um, be hardened and fixed in a path of sinfulness. God drawing back in this regard for a temporary hardening so that we see what's going on um, in chapter 11, verse 11 through the end. So there's going to be a lot that we're not going to have time to cover today. Um, if you, if you want to um, have that in detail, I would say go back to the Roman study specifically, I tried in going through it then um, to answer <clears throat> all the various questions that come up along the way, particularly um, for us as we get kind of down into the the into the verse twenties and and beyond. We're going to get into these places where, like, you would find yourself asking the question, "How does this relate to the perseverance of the saints?" Right. Um, does this read as though you could be pulled 
and ungrafted from the tree. We're not going to have time to dig into that today. We're going to kind of try to keep ourselves focused on election here. Um, just to kind of answer that quickly, no, this is, this is not pertaining to perseverance of the saints. If you, if you believe, if the Holy Spirit um, has, um, is dwelling with you as a believer, um, this, this gift is not being drawn back. The one who began this work in you will complete this work in you. Um, so um, when we get into that, just know that like we just don't have time today to dig into it and finish up. Um, but that's that's not the point again that Paul is trying to get into as he's as he's digging through this text. So verse eleven. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Speaking to, to Israel here, by no means, so he answers that, he answers that quickly, rather, and then this is kind of ref- reflecting back on that um, quote from Moses there, um, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And we're going to see as Paul is digging into this that he sees himself as part of that instrument that's going to make Israel jealous. Like he, he, he sees himself as having a particular role in this. Um, and as he serves the Gentiles to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, there is for Paul always this, just you wait and see, my friends. Just you wait and see what God is doing. And I pray that you desire the same God that you see working in this nation that was not a nation. I pray that you would draw back close to Him. Right? Like that, when, when we see Paul speaking in this, like, tone of jealousy this is not jealousy in like a sinful sense but a a jealousy that would cause you to long that would cause you to turn back to the god that you've turned your eyes away from for the sake of hand washing and ceremonies that make you feel clean in and of yourself right Um, he wants them to see that there's a better hope than um than what they could have ever imagined here so verse 12 now if by their now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean so glimpses here to what is i believe like a prophetic forward-looking hope that he has that they will be um, included in whole at some point in the future. Um, verse 13, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles in as, in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. So he's speaking to those who he's referring to as being hardened. And I want to I want to make a, a, a particular note here that he's speaking towards this group that he's considering hardened, and he believes that his work in preaching the gospel can save some of them. Right? So I ask you, what hope does the hardened heart have for salvation? Hearing the word of God. Paul, this again, this is not new. As we were going through chapter 10, he's put this out there. So when you think about, like, uh, in a practical sense, when you think about election, when you think about hardening, when you think about your part in this work of sharing the gospel, and you have that, you have that as a believer, you know that you are amongst the elect. 
Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you believe, you are among those elect. And then in that comes this, like, fear for those that we love, that they might not find themselves amongst the elect, but that they might be hardened. You can share the gospel knowing that their hardened hearts only hope for salvation is the hearing of the gospel right so you don't you don't you don't as as someone who finds themselves among the people of god you don't sit as you as you proclaim the gospel and say, I wonder if you are, or if you are, or if you are, or if you are. I wonder which of you are. That's not where your focus is. Because what you know is the hope of every heart that is hardened is the gospel hope. Proclaim the gospel. And you can have the same hope that Paul has. That some might be saved. Right? So he preaches... To the Gentiles, that is his ministry, and somehow he hopes to make the Jews jealous and thus save some of them, these whose hearts are hardened. All right? For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Does he find them in a hopeless state? Hopeless without Christ, but not hopeless because of Christ, right? Like they're hopeless apart from Christ, but he sees what he's doing as a work that can bring them from that hopeless state of being into the light, right? Yeah. The only one, right? He's preaching hope, right? Yeah. So we need to be faith. We need to be faithful in that, right? We need to be faithful in um, proclaiming the gospel, um, knowing that the Holy Spirit works through the proclaiming of the gospel, knowing that by the preaching of the gospel, faith comes because faith comes through hearing. That is, hearing the word of Christ, right? Verse sixteen. He goes into he again like. He's, he's kind of pulling here from his understanding just all of it, all that he knew about the, the culture that he grew up in, the culture that he's a part of, and who they were and the special place that they had. And there's this reconciling that he is doing in his mind himself that no doubt he's had to do before he could give us this detailed laying out here. And as he does it, he's bringing forward these ideas that are these like markers towards this hope that he has that there will be a day when all of Israel proclaims Christ. And I, okay, now when I say all of Israel, clearly I don't mean every single individual, but I mean, I'm speaking there in terms of the whole of Israel, right? That the nation of Israel 
will will no longer be in this state of hardness towards Christ, but will be but will be drawn to Him. So, verse sixteen: If the dough is offered as first fruits is holy, so is the lump, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So he's given these two kind of analogies here: um, one from dough, one from this root and branches. Uh, verse seventeen: But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in amongst the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree do not be arrogant towards the branches okay i want us to consider here because the idea of election oftentimes leads in in one of two completely opposing directions one is rejection you just i don't believe it right i don't care that the words in there several times throughout scripture i just don't believe it okay that's one direction the other direction tends towards arrogance tends towards arrogance it ought not ever tend towards arrogance paul himself speaking to those branches grafted in about those who were broken off tells those branches those elect not to be arrogant do not be arrogant towards the branches if you are if you find yourself being in a place of arrogance one there you should take heed to all warnings of scripture here if you are remember it is not you who supports the root but the root that supports you and the arrogant heart will say right so so um verse 19 then you will say so again paul like bringing up um bringing up questions that hearts might find themselves asking right so here we find the arrogant heart would say branches were broken off so that i might be grafted in that's true (laughs) okay that's true why were they broken off right they were broken off because of their unbelief why is israel a part of the ones who were broken off here they did not believe the gospel very much so Yeah. yeah, we're seeing a lot clearer that it would be almost like someone coming in to hear and saying, okay, we know we've taught you about Jesus for the last 400 years, but this is what it is now. Yeah, consider, consider this, okay? Consider that God, every time that we find Israel drawing closer to God through the Old Testament, it is God primary moving in that. And, and Shane, you speak to a 400-year gap between the last time that the prophets had spoken to now when the when the prophet has come but consider consider this when god draws back what happens to the heart 
what was guaranteed to happen when God draws away from the people of Israel for 400 years? What was guaranteed to happen? Were they going to draw closer to Him? Yes. Their nature was going to do what it does. Yes. And it's not like they weren't seeing like the symbolism and the importance. Yes. They lost all of it. Yeah. Like the law never was to make them holy. They started thinking, and here's what Yes, and here's what happens is they know that they can't keep the law. So they start making up their own that they can. Right? And then, and then God Himself comes and walks amongst them. And they're going to point out things as though, oh, you are in sin. And He's like, I have no responsibility to follow your laws. Follow mine. Yes. If, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing it this way, then it's okay. So we really are way more like And this is this is why this is why we must guard our hearts from arrogance. God has chosen you. If you love God, He's chosen you. You've placed your faith in His work. You are part of His people, His church, His bride, the elect. If you find yourself in a place where you are growing arrogant because of the knowledge of that, I ask you, how close are you to God right now? Yes. Yes. Uh, even the church itself is still in that recurring thing of we we resist the Lord in our pride and our arrogance and our entitlement and our self-righteousness and we end up yeah. being resisted by God and His blessing on the church and ourselves. And what happens is a continual cycle. I, I, in our own life we see it in the original sin issue like every single person as a group of people, God resists a group of people. Yes. Um, we need as an entity. Yeah. And he, he may still be even now. Like we have to be reckoning as a whole people group and individuals and saying, are we being resisted by the Lord's spirit? Think are about that. Think about that. And that's why I think when we look at this text, specifically where we're running into now, where we get these warnings, the beginning with arrogance, right? Beginning with like a this warning against arrogance. And then we see like Again, like when Paul's addressing in the earlier chapters of this study where he's like, who are you, O man? Right? Who are you, O man? Right. Now here, we get the same addressing 
for, for those who find themselves among the elect, right? Those branches grafted in, right? Now, as we get into this where he's talking about breaking, a, breaking away, okay? Um, I, I, in general, tend to see this as speaking towards a group, right? Speaking towards a group, like you could speak towards the church in America in the, in the same way, right? Where if you lose in your proclaiming of the gospel, the gospel, then you run the same risk of the church collective losing ground in your generation right now God is faithful to his people and even in the midst of that type of occurring there will be those just like with Israel who though there might be a hardening of a sort there will be those who are faithful why are they faithful because God chose them yes Yes. Not just preach, but like reading his word. Yes. His Holy Spirit is active and living in the church. Go ahead. Elijah, was it Elijah? You know, that all of that situation with questioning whether or not, like, why am I the only one? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yeah. I have these that are, and he numbers those that were his. And when he says this, when he says this, the one who claims to be the only one finds themselves humbled there. What arrogance it is that you think that you are the only one. I've reserved for myself, right? Yeah. And risen and melting that part. Yeah. And just how you worded it. And like, you see in history the times we've, in church history, where we've drifted from Christ alone and started putting other things, no different than Morgan was talking about, like Pharisees and just in, like an epidemic at points in church history in certain places and times and losing ground, losing witness. Yeah. Yeah. Like specifically being arrogant toward the root. And I, and I think we have the only thing, like, it just speaks to pride. It is, it's, it's 100% arrogance, pride, and losing focus on the goal, specifically in the proclamation of the gospel. But what we can see when we look at the long view of history, right? is that we can see, though there's these ebbs and flows and there may be entire like regions geographically that just fall away, that God remains faithful, pressing forward throughout time, right? Like, God will, God will complete this work. There will be reformations. 
that take place because God is faithful, and right? He never ever drifts from his purpose. It's he is, yes. I wrote this down and you said, What is God's purpose in election? The glory of God in the exaltation. Yeah. That we might just delight in the more glory. That may mean a broken branch. It may mean me being broken. But the end result is God's... Yes. At the, at the end, Christ will be exalted above all. When we look back on the story that God is telling through human history, there will be no question who is sovereign over all. Right? We may find ourselves in times throughout history that we, with our narrow view find ourselves questioning his sovereignty, his ability to overcome. Just like we're just like the children of Israel. In just the like wilderness. yes. Like they still wondered, well why did you bring us out and here we wander. Yeah. We tend to as humans our lives are pretty much wilderness experiences. We we spend much of our time <laughs> yes, wandering lost in the woods. <laughs> lost in, in the woods. <laughs> Yeah. Paul, Paul speaks of that a few chapters back. Oh, yeah. He, he, he himself even said that he, he wants to do what's right, yet he's always doing what's wrong, regardless of what he tries yeah. to do. So that's why you have to stay in the Word and read it so that Christ can work through that into you. And that's the first place he goes after this. Yeah. yeah. I personally fall and see myself falling back. Yeah. The Spirit of God presses us forward in this walk when we rely, like, the one who began the work finishes it. Like, 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 that is a simple truth that we ought to hold to. Christ began this work in us. He is faithful and capable to bring it to its completion. We ought to lean into His work in us versus rely on our own work and our own efforts. When we find ourselves failing, we ought to find ourselves trusting ever more in Him. When you find yourself lacking, you ought to be finding Him lacking in nothing. Mm. They would say that we would rely upon the means of grace. Yeah. And they would use, I mean, what is Scripture but a means of grace? Yeah. He is found in the Scripture, the Spirit, and us being abiding yes. in Him. As we pray, it is a means of grace that we could receive that which He's abundantly able to give. Yes. And that He is going to give us through those things. Right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Each other accountable, 
not in a, you know, through grace is love and everything, but to never drift to this. Yeah. Because this is the drift that causes us to stop relying on Christ, to start thinking, well, let's see, what kind of program can we come up with? Yeah. And what, I mean, I've done it. I've, I've wandered in that wilderness and like thinking about church growth. I mean, it, it should permeate everything. Yeah. Not just our personal lives, but how we deal with church. And I mean, how many times have we beat our heads against the wall trying to drum up numbers of people? Yeah. Just, I mean, this this is at the root. It is. Of a it is. How do we? How do? How do we? How do we? How do we win them? How do we win a soul? Yeah. The proclamation of the gospel. How do we keep that soul? The proclamation of the gospel. Like, how do, if, if we here at Mount Carmel are looking and asking ourselves, how do we ensure that this branch, this branch that we find ourselves a part of here, is not pulled off in the future? We proclaim the gospel to one another, to the children who are growing up. We set before them this central hope that Christ alone and faith alone in Him, knowledge of this found in the Word of God alone, proclaim this so that when we hear them preach one day that they're proclaiming this Gospel and that they know that they had better give that to the next generation and the next so that we know that we've done all that we can do in proclaiming this truth that these branches are not removed in the future generations, right? So we see him kind of pressing into this, like this warning here. So don't become proud, but fear. Okay, that's the last part of verse 21 there. So I'll just read, I'll just read um, 19 again. Then you'll say, that arrogant heart will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear, right? That's, don't become proud, be humble in this knowledge, right? For if God did not spare the natural branches, speaking of Israel, like look at them as a warning for us. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, so it's belief is this determining factor through this, right? If they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Verse 24. For if you were cut from what by nature is a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And what he's putting forward here is if God can do the work that he's done in you, the Gentiles... Do you think it would be more or less difficult for him to do this same work in the people of Israel who have this groundwork, who have this history with God, right? 
Verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. That's what he sees having taken place in his time. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right? So this hardening that has taken place to Israel was for a purpose, right? This, this, the gospel hope is now being pushed out to the entire world. And in this way, Israel will be saved as it is written. So again, quoting scripture. This is where we get this hope for them to be grafted back in. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28, as regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Speaking to the Gentiles now. But as regards election, that is God's work throughout history to bring this together, they are the beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God and now have received mercy because of their disobedience, again, he sees this hardening, pointing God's work towards the Gentiles now. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. How does he see that mercy coming back to the nation of Israel? How will that work out? Will it be in any other way than the proclamation of the gospel? So Gentiles preaching too. Yes. The Gentiles will bring the gospel to the Jews. Right? For God has consigned all to disobedience, verse 32, that He may have mercy on all. And in considering this, in considering chapters 1 through 11 here, and reflecting on this gospel that he's put forward, um, reflecting on the hope that we have that God will complete this, and the unshaking knowledge that not only can God's word not fail, but we can look at the failings of men and see it in the word of God. That's what he's been pointing out to us here. How amazing that reality. Oh, the depths, he finishes with this. Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We'll close there. Next week we will press on to the next um, next section in the systematic theology study.